Diverse is brought to you by SWE Advance, supporting the recruitment, retention, and advancement of women in engineering through career resources, professional development, and one-to-one networking opportunities. Hello, I'm Jessica Rano, FY17 President of the Society of Women Engineers, and this is SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. Joining me now is Lorraine Bolsinger, Vice President of the Corporate Leadership Acceleration Program at General Electric. Lorraine is a keynote speaker at WE17, SWE's annual conference, which is October 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Lorraine has been at GE for 36 years and has had many leadership positions. She was the president and CEO of Distributed Power at GE Power. She also served as president and CEO at GE Aviation Systems. Lorraine is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, where she earned a bachelor's degree in biomechanical engineering. Thanks for joining us today, Lorraine. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Jessica. Okay. So can you start off by telling us more about your career and how you've used your engineering degree in the many roles you've had in GE? Yes, I I would love to. So I've been fortunate to work at GE for 36 years, and I've had at least 10 incredible careers during that time. I've done some interesting things like commercialized power plants and jet engines. I led the uh, Corporate Ecomagination Initiative. Uh, I created a joint venture for avionics with a state-owned enterprise in China, the first ever. Um, built an electric power lab with the University of Dayton and in a, uh, uh, a partnership. Developed a research satellite that was launched from the space shuttle. And I launched the first gas turbine on a fast ferry and a cruise ship. So... You can tell by those kinds of activities that in every case I used my engineering degree to understand both the technology and then also how to apply it to our customers and understand how they, um, you know, how their operations worked. So it was absolutely crucial that I had a technical background and an engineering degree. Um, I joined GE in an early career development program in marketing and sales of our energy products. And I love entry-level programs because they really do help build your confidence when you are you know, just right out of college. I held uh, lots of different roles, um, some in product management, others in sales and marketing across both GE Power and our aerospace business. When we used to have an aerospace business, we divested of that some time ago, uh, but also our aviation business. And I served in such diverse industries and technologies as space and defense, uh, power generation, oil and gas, marine, um, and aviation for both military and civil markets. So again, my engineering degree really helped me learn about these new industries, you know, quickly. So I've worked across GE and I've traveled to about 100 countries. And from, you know, such an incredible vantage point, I can tell you firsthand that our passion, GE's passion to imagine a better world and make it happen really sets us apart. And it's a great company to come work for, especially if you're an engineer. Wow, uh, that's just quite a diverse career. It sounds like, you know, I think some of those accomplishments would be a career achievement, just one of those things. So it's cool how you've been able to have such a diverse career. And, you know, I think it's a good inspiration for people to find out that you can change, you know, area products that you're working on. Because I think sometimes people get scared that they're, you know, I'm, I'm going to work on this one thing and that's going to be the rest of my career. 
Oh, I can't tell you how many times I have young women talk to me about that. And they say, I'm really worried I have to make this choice. I said, you're not making a choice. Worry about your choice of husbands, but don't worry <laughs> about your choice of what you're going to do in your first or second job. Because there's so many things, so many things ahead of you. I just had a discussion yesterday with a young gal and I said, you don't need to make that choice now. Right. I think we we have we hold ourselves like, uh, you know, too accountable for the next 20 years when we have no idea what the next 20 years could possibly bring. Yeah, I can say definitely for my career, too. I am not in the same place I thought I would be when I graduated 20 years ago. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's my career has gone in a much different way than I would have thought, but I love it. So. Mm hmm. So currently you head up GE's Corporate Leadership Acceleration Program. Can you tell us more about that program? Sure. It's called XLP, Accelerated Leadership Program. And it was created and launched in uh, 2016, so just last year, to build a pipeline of future executive leaders at GE who will have uh, you know, global capabilities that are necessary to help guide our company as we become a digital industrial company in the coming decades. So we're really going through a, a transformation We've always been an industrial company, but when we divested of capital and started on this transformation of, of really bringing the internet, the industrial internet of things to our customers, we became what we call a digital industrial. And that requires um, a different kind of skill set, more entrepreneurial. So XLP is a, is a two to four year program that combines full-time stretch assignments. When I say stretch assignments, I mean like really assignments that you're probably not quite qualified for. And I'll talk a lot about stretch because I feel strongly about it. It's it's probably going to make you grow in a way that you had never expected or didn't even believe you could do yourself. In addition to the assignments, there are high impact projects that um, that our folks work across their businesses. There's a customized curriculum that's supported by a huge foundation of individualized development plans, breakthrough learning experiences, really high profile assignments. So not only are they stretch, but they're very important to the business and they have high visibility inside the business. And then of course there's ongoing coaching, mentoring and networking. So the top priority assignments and projects that XLPs tackle are expected to have significant business impact. The, uh, the program is both functional and leadership. So in other words, it's developing both your, your function. So for example, engineering or supply chain or IT, digital, um, but also your leadership capabilities. So we offer nine functional tracks, and each track has a list of functional capabilities that are connected to capability models, and the candidates move from, generally when they get on program, an awareness level to a skilled level to an expert level, and by the time they graduate, they will be strategists. We call it the strategist level. Um, in at least a few of the um, of the capabilities. So we also develop core capabilities, things that we believe everybody has to have regardless of their function. And those are global leadership, business acumen, commercial growth, digital innovation, and operations ex expertise. So that's the that's the program. And it is um, it's a it's not for the faint hearted. It's a tough program. <laughs> it has very high expectations. Uh, and I have to tell you, I'm very happy our our uh, engineering track grew this year, and it is the second biggest track that we have now. Wow. So is that a self-selection into that, or are you, uh, I guess, picked for to be part of that program? Yeah. So uh, the first year, we did only uh, nominations by the business leaders. So uh, you could not self-nominate. This year, 
our class, we're just uh, forming that class right now, and we'll meet for the first time in July in Boston. That class had self had the ability to self-nominate. And of the people we chose for the program, about 40% are self-nominations. Now, I don't want anybody to think that you can just raise your hand and jump on this program. <laughs> it is, it's a grueling program and you have to have recommendations. You have to be you know, willing to travel, uh, willing to relocate. There's a lot of things that, um, that come to, to bear in this. But just to give you an idea, the incoming class is 0.05% or math girls, we like math, right? 0.05% uh, of the population of the company. So it is a very, very, um, I'd say, uh, distinct group of people. We have 300,000 people and the company will have a total this year of 400, a little over 400 people on program. Wow, sounds like a great program. Yeah, I wish I had, I wish I could have been on it. So you also have a new program called Balance the Equation at GE, and the goal is to have 20,000 technical women in the company by 2020. I know I've seen the commercials for it um, with past SWE member, Millie Dressenhouse. Um, and how do you plan to do that? Yeah, we love we love Millie. Um, you know, well, to invent the, the, the future, the workforce that is going to engineer and build and service our products across the globe, have to reflect the globe that we live in and have to reflect the world we live in. And the world is a gender parity, right? There's half men and half women. So there's a real business imperative. Um, first, we know that more diverse teams are more creative and they outperform and out-innovate teams that are not diverse. We know that boardrooms that have um, diverse boards where they have females on the board outperform those that don't by like 54%. And if we aren't drawing from the entire talent pool, then we are, couldn't possibly be getting the best people. And we need the best people. Today, we have only 18% women in our technical family. And we know that we can do a whole lot better. So we have to recruit the best, retain the best, and spread the word. And this means building uh, real participation among women at more junior levels to help increase the, you know, the available pipeline and also to provide opportunities for challenging and fulfilling jobs for women within GE while making the business case for more inclusiveness. So what we've done is we've really focused in three areas. And the goals that we're setting uh, really injected a sense of urgency in, in addressing these things. First, we said we were going to um, change our recruiting perspective and change our recruiting um, practices, really. We're expanding the number of colleges and universities from which we recruit to include more institutions that have a competitive gender mix. You know, when we looked at the average of the schools that we were going to, they had about an 18% on average uh, female um, attendance rate. So it shouldn't surprise us, again, do the math, that we have 18% inside of GE. So if we want to change that, we need to do two things. One, get more than our fair share from those schools. And I think you know, once you create a relationship with a school, it's important to keep that relationship and try to you know, just do better there. But then secondly, consider other schools where there are more females. And when we looked at um, a whole list of other schools, they were, had almost double the number of women. So, you know, where you go to recruit matters. And I think we have to bring some of the colleges along that weren't quite there as well as uh, remix where we're gonna um, where we're gonna recruit, and then second, from a retention standpoint, we've instituted a few processes to help 
uh, provides feedback to some of our technical, not, not some, all of our technical leaders across the company so that they can help support this transformation. And we're testing different ways that we can hold those managers accountable, like in pulse surveys, for example, to give them an idea how they're doing and overall effectiveness in creating an, an, an inclusive environment. And then we're also conducting unconscious bias training with intact teams so that they can work through some of the issues and, and understand that, um, you know, they're not alone. There are other people who are struggling with these kinds of issues and, and maybe some, some tactics and uh, strategies to, to, um, to work through them. And then third, you know, we're providing thought leadership on the subject. And I think it's important for us to be willing to be on the record and very public about what we're doing. And we're doing that through our media campaigns and, and our public commitment. So these are just a few examples of how I think we will make sure that our, our goals are embraced at all levels in the company and evident in our, um, in our everyday actions. Great. So one thing you just mentioned was about recruiting. And I know you've been on a bus tour this spring with GE, stopping at college campuses to meet young women considering careers in engineering. And I personally, I know that it's important for young women to have role models like you. Uh, you know, we have the saying, you have to see it to be it. So can you talk a bit about your experience doing this bus tour? Sure. Well, first of all, I have to tell you, I had so much fun. Um, we went to seven different schools, and I actually uh, went to two of them myself personally. So um, I didn't go to all seven. But I was so, like, reinvigorated and, and excited by, by meeting these incredible women. Um, you know, with our most recent uh, Millie ad, you, you mentioned Millie Dresselhouse. We just absolutely love her. Um, you know, we imagined a world where these brilliant engineering women are the stars, that they are, you know, the, the role models that everybody looks up to and that everyone thinks are cool. And the ad was really designed to be an inspiration for women pursuing, you know, the sciences and, and, and um, anything in STEM. But, you know, also I think about the movie Hidden Figures. You know, everyone can agree that seeing and hearing from women in technology, um, especially ones who went through, you know, the trying times that they did, it's, it's just incredibly inspiring and exciting. And we need to do more of that, and we will do more of that. Um, so role, mo role models do matter, and I appreciate you um, giving me the compliment. But I have to tell you, that's only part of the story. We, we brought a lot of young women with us, too. And, in fact, more young women than women, you know, at, at uh, my age and, and where I am in my career because the women on campus want to hear from them and they want to relate to them. They, I mean, they have basic questions like, what is it like to work? It's not that they haven't done mm -hmm. internships or co-ops or whatever, but they want to know some very fundamental things. And I think sometimes when you're so far removed from that first day that you ever worked, like for me, 36 years ago, I'm not sure that I, I'm as relatable to them. And I loved having you know, the young women who maybe just graduated from their school two, three, four years ago, and they asked them, well, what are you doing now? And they could see them, you know, they, they knew that they were at that school and they could see that within three to four years, they had blossomed into this incredible person, but, it, but believable, reachable. They could see themselves in their shoes. And I think that's great. I think we have to have both role models that make it to, you know, tops of corporations, but also fabulous role models who are in their third and fourth and fifth and maybe 10th year with a company. I think that's a great point. It sounds like you had a very diverse group of people attending those uh, bus tours. So We did. We had some men, too. We invited them, too. We, we, we had everybody come through. It was really fun. Which is good. You know, we need men as diversity partners, too. We can't uh, just as women go out and do it alone. Absolutely right. Couldn't agree more. 
So kind of changing the topic from recruiting into the field, but switching to retention. Uh, why do you think women leave the engineering profession or, you know, maybe don't even go into it in the first place? You know, we even find people that graduate with engineering degrees, but then that's not what they pursue as their career. Yeah. You know, I, there are so many different um, postulations as to why that's the case. And I just couldn't pretend to know, you know, all the answers or any of the answers. But what I, I do know is that if we're going to really change it and, and we believe that it can be changed, we're going to have to upend any long held assumptions that we might have. And so whatever we think is the reason, I think we have to look at it anew and think deeper on what these problems are. And, and you know, we just can't say it's unsolvable. It's the way it's always been. Women don't like to be engineers. Women don't like technology. Women don't stay. Um, we just can't shrug our shoulders and think it's just the way that things have always been. Um, and I think there are steps that businesses can take now to attract and, and retain female talent that will really drive near-term progress and just might galvanize a new paradigm. And I think good begets good in this case, if I can use that expression. I think when we start to get more, there'll be a tipping point where then more women will want to be there because the paradigm will shift. But we can't give up until we're up that hill and the ball start, starts rolling, you know, on the other on the other side. And I think it's, it's interesting. I think the digital industrial transformation, while it poses for our company and probably most others, an even bigger need for diverse talent in a sort of uh, equal and opposite way. It also provides, I think, a distinct opportunity for um, that transformation to act as a catalyst for women to come in. And what do I mean by that? If you look at the new work, the jobs that are created in this new digital industrial world, you know, I, I think it's very different. So we're developing really cool technologies, for example, additive manufacturing technologies that are creative and sculptural and, you know, they, they feels more like art. Uh, brilliant factories that are clean and bright and rely on advanced robotics. I mean, there's not oil dripping from things. It's not the old, you know, dimly lit sulfur light kind of environment. It's a, it's a cool, fun place to be. Uh, we're developing novel cell therapies that offer new hope to patients and to physicians. So, you know, working on cures for cancer, uh, software solutions that make power plants more energy efficient and sustainable. Um, we have a digital wind farm where we can actually program the wind farm and get as much efficiency out of, you know, tweaking how they operate uh, as we would get if we designed a new blade. And so I think it appeals to a, a, a different kind of, of calling, one that's now, you know, taking shape with, a real spirit of inventiveness, innovation, possibility. And it's it's more creative and I think it's more fulfilling and in some ways responsible. And I'm going to just say the word, I think it's cool. I think the work <laughs> that we have to do today is more, is cooler than what we used to have as engineering jobs. And so I think these are roles that both men and women are drawn to. Yeah, I think a lot of the things you were talking about, you can really relate to how that impacts people and makes our lives better, which... Uh, influences a lot of people that want to go into engineering. You know, they want to change the world. And uh, sometimes getting that message out that that's you can do it through engineering is uh, is one thing we're really working on because I don't know that message is always out there. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I also think on the technical side for manufacturing, where those lines between engineering and manufacturing are going to start blurring. I think we're going to be thinking more all the way through that value chain. And so I love the idea that you know, engineers are, are going into 
uh, into manufacturing, where in the past you might have envisioned like a dirty old factory. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry to say it that way because I have some really great friends who are females that lead, uh, you know, have, that have worked in dirty old factories and they were the manufacturing leader and they loved it. Um, I had a bunch of factories that were, you know, mid-century kind of uh, uh, manifestations and they were certainly old-fashioned. Um, but, and I loved it. I thought it was fun, but that's not for everybody. So I think the, the you know, the plants of the future, the factories of the future are going to be so much more sophisticated and, you know, I'll say maybe more attractive to females. And I hope that's true. Yeah, I actually started my career in a, as you would say, a dirty old manufacturing engine plant. So, and now I've evolved to a very clean pharmaceutical warehouse. So. Uh, Funny. Yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah. different. Uh, so. The theme of our SWE year this year is life's variable, SWE's your constant. And you've been a member of SWE since college, and now your daughter is an engineering student at Dartmouth and a SWE member. Did you encourage her to pursue a career in STEM or, you know, your involvement in SWE help motivate her to go into that career? Oh, yes. I certainly try. I certainly try to influence her. And, uh, you know, she was an outstanding, really well-rounded student. Um, And, you know, like many freshmen, wasn't exactly sure what she wanted to study. She started in economics and I was cringing, to be honest with you. I was like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do with that? And really, why, you know, why aren't you doing engineering? But we didn't pressure her. Neither my husband nor I pressured her. We said, if that's what you think you want to do, do it. Um, But she switched to engineering. And I can tell you, we were like, quietly smiling but doing the happy dance on the on the they, she couldn't see us because we were on the telephone but I was really thrilled you know my my parents were a major influence although they were certainly not helicopter parents and they weren't in fact they weren't even college educated um, they worked really long and hard hours and my father was in construction and uh, they both tended my family um, or we had a newsstand you know a business but they demanded ac- you know academic excellence and whenever I would say, you know, I expressed any interest in an activity, a subject, a sport. They always would say the same thing, unequivocally, go for it. But I will tell you, never at the sacrifice of any of my academic, um, you know, achievement. And so, you know, I started college as a dual major in English and chemistry. And I don't know what in the world I was thinking, but, <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to be a Renaissance woman or something. But I finally saw the light and I switched to engineering. Um, so I earned my degree in, in biomed engineering with the help of a family who just had boundless faith in me. And they said, if you want to switch, switch. And, uh, and I had great professors that, that helped me make that happen, too, because it was um, it was a late switch. I switched actually at the at the end of my sophomore year. So um, but, you know, what? that's what I'm trying to instill in my daughter. I encourage her to pursue her dreams, keep all of her options open. And also, you know, I, I do emphasize the impact that she could have as an engineer on the world, that the things that she can accomplish will be incredible. And I even love if women say, well, I really would like to be, and men for that matter, but women or men that say, I think I might want to pursue a more commercial. And well, that's what I did. I was, I've always been a commercial person, um, but without that engineering degree, nobody would have listened to me. No one. I wouldn't have gotten in the first power plant. I wouldn't have been able to, you know, ever talk to, um, our, our partners on the on the space shuttle program I just wouldn't be I wouldn't have been able to understand what they were talking about so I think you know the technological future is just something is not just something we're going to watch but it's something that we invent and I think you know making that happen is what sets engineers apart and that's exciting 
So it's great to hear how you've been encouraging your daughter. It sounds like, you know, having that support is going to be very important to her. I know my parents supporting me through my career as I tried to figure out my major and called my mom crying, saying I couldn't handle engineering was what got me through it and actually how I got an engineering degree. So, yeah. And of course you can do it. Yeah. (laughs) So since we're talking about family, you know, we hear a lot about work-life balance, uh, but not all women have the same outlook on that. And you Mm -hmm. have two children and your husband's also an executive at GE. So um, you've charted your own path as a working mom. And how have you handled that? Yeah. You know, it's, there's no one answer. My, the way I handled it was good for my family and, and worked. Um, I had a lot of, of love around my children. I was very fortunate that my in-laws moved to Cincinnati. Nobody, none of us were from Cincinnati, nobody. And I have lived here for now 25 years, but my, um, my mother-in-law and father-in-law moved here and my mom, my father's been deceased for some time. And so they were always around the kids. So my kids thought they had a normal life, even though their mom was gone about 60 to 70% of the time. My husband traveled some, he does a lot more now, but we, we always, uh, kind of circle them with a a social enclave and a, you know, a loving family that even if mom wasn't there, somebody was there that was kind of carrying the, carrying the flag. And I think, you know, they didn't suffer because of that. But, you know, my roles were always very, very demanding. Um, So I couldn't, I wouldn't lie to anybody and say that, you know, I, I made it to every sporting event and, you know, was super mom because that just, it's just simply not true. Um, At my level in the company, I had to give probably more to work than I had you know, at least in, in terms of time, not in terms of love, but in terms of time, yeah. um, I really did have to give a lot of time to work. And so I found opportunities where I could, you know, you know quote unquote, integrate work and life as much as I could. Uh, for example, I invited customers to my home and, you know, made my kids a part of that. Um, I brought my children on customer ski trips. And in fact, they still keep in touch with uh, some of the kids from um, my customers uh, they talked about, you know, I talked about all the cool things I worked on, and so did my husband, um, so that they really would love GE, not resent it. And I think sometimes we try to shelter our kids from what we do. If you bring them in, they're very inquisitive. And, you know, both of my kids are engineers. My son is also pursuing an engineering degree. So I think that that excited them, and they felt instead of left out and hating GE, they you know, learn to love it. Uh, just one example, my son, when he was younger, he would always poke his head into the cockpit when we would uh, board an airplane and ask the captain, so, you know, how do you like those GE engines? And of course, <laughs> and of course, the, they, they, they would always say, oh, we love these. These are the best engines ever. And then my son would be all puffed up and proud. And he thought they were his engines. <laughs> and uh, that was really cool. But I have to tell you, I'm also very happy and, and, I'm, and I'm proud to see that GE is now providing more flexible arrangements for working families. You know, it really allows them to customize their schedules to, to maximize productivity. Um, you know, we allow employees to bring their best selves to work when we let them, you know, have a more positive experience in work and, and integrating um, their work life. But I think the other thing, too, is that digital tools are so amazing in terms of productivity, whether it be working more easily or virtually at home or at, or at um, you know, getting in touch with people at home or working from a, a remote location. I know people, I know women who are at soccer games at five o'clock and they can be on conference calls and they can, you know, be virtually working. So I think we're learning new skills and new ways to balance. And, 
you know, the old-fashioned ways of balancing are, are probably going to go by the wayside. So this is a subject that I think will continue to evolve. I see more men involved in the upbringing of their children, and, you know, that's it's all good. I think it's all coming to a, to a better place, and hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll I won't say lose the words work-life balance, but balance to me always makes it sound like it's 50-50, and it, it never is. You know, some, the fulcrum moves. And so, you know, just picturing that scale, it's not always in the center. But, you know, you try to get it on average to, to, feel, um, to feel right. And I think, you know, there's lots of ways to cope with that. There's lots of ways of dealing with that. But I always ask women, please don't give up. Don't give up. You can do both. And it may mean stepping into a little, um, you know, less time-consuming role for a while and then come back because we're not going to, you know, the laws of physics aren't going to change. The laws of thermodynamics aren't going to change. So if you take off a year in terms of being on the fast track, you'll come back a few years later. And, and I, one of the women who I have so much respect for was our former in aviation, our former head of engineering. And she actually went part-time, I think four or five years and came back and then, and made it to the very top of the organization. So it, it can be done. That's a great story. You know, I, you know, I like to think of it as work-life integration. Like you're talking about flexible arrangements. And I know personally in my life, there's days that it's 18 hours of work and then there's days where it's, you know, not so much. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely a flex. Yeah, totally agree. Well said. So uh, we're really excited to have you with us for We 17, our annual conference, uh, which will be in Austin this coming October. I don't know if you know, but our theme is going to be always connecting, always engineering, which I think you definitely fit that theme with your experiences. Uh, So you'll be giving our keynote breakfast. And I was wondering if there's two key points that you'd like the audience to take away from your keynote speech that you're going to be giving at the conference. Yeah, sure. I want to give, you know, the big reveal. I can't give all the secrets away. Okay, yeah. um, Just... (laughs) You got to leave you know, just a little teaser. Just, yeah, I've got to have a little teaser. That's right. Um, but I think it's probably through some of the the things we already talked about. You would you'd understand what my, um, you know, what am I excited about? What do I want to tell young people and and encourage existing women engineers to to think about? First, I want them to go beyond their comfort zone, and that can be a tough thing because as engineers, we anchor our strength and our competence in technical know-how, right? It feels black and white. But the truth is we gain confidence by taking on new challenges and risks. And I say do that early in your career because once you've proven you can do it, you'll do it again and again and again. So I always tell people, look for roles, both within and beyond your domain, you know, that are outside your comfort zone. You know, I talked about stretch assignments earlier, and that's what I'm putting on the XLP program for all these people that have stretch assignments. That's what I want for, for our women engineers, to take that stretch and not be afraid. You know, women look at, a, at a, a spec sheet for a job and they say, oh, I've got five out of the 10 qualifications. I can't apply. Well, the truth is they probably have nine out of the 10 qualifications, you know, because they just haven't interpreted those requirements. So I say, get, it, get, get outside of your comfort zone. You're going to learn a lot more and you're going to learn it faster because they really do possess far more capacity than they realize. You know, I, I always tell them, if you don't have an uneasy feeling in the pit of your stomach, 
you didn't choose a big enough job or a big enough challenge. So for me, I think when we stretch, we learn. And then the second is look to the future. We need the world's best talent to invent the future and make the world work better. But it's not just about, you know, our collective future. I love that part, that calling. But it's also about the individual's future, their personal best. You know, I, I ask women often, how are you going to define yourself? You know, deep down, how are you going to do it? What are you going to stand for? Uh, what do you want to be known for? And then be confident in your abilities be curious and constantly learning and stretching. So those are kind of the, those are the two things that, uh, that I'd like to talk about in the keynote. Thanks. I'm excited to hear you in October. Uh, I think it's going to be a great event. As you, you know, last year we had 12,000 attendees at our conference. So we're expecting Austin to be even larger. Gosh, that's incredible. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. So are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience today? Yeah, we need more women in STEM. <laughs> that's what I, I, I just, you know, I, I can't emphasize that enough. And I, I hope um, you know, that our, our podcast listeners and SWE attendees are, are really excited about the future. Um, the world's changing. You know, jobs are changing. Uh, conversations are changing. And there's really no better time than today to take full advantage of the opportunities out there. And, and what I know is that an engineer can do anything. Anything. So what I ask is please, please be an ambassador and be an evangelist for women in technology. I think that's a great note to end on. So thank you, Lorraine, for talking with us today. Jessica, it was great talking to you, and I'm going to look forward to seeing you in Austin. I'm sure we'll be talking between now and then, but it's going to be exciting. Definitely. Thank you again. Lorraine Bolsinger is Vice President of the Corporate Leadership Acceleration Program at General Electric. She is a keynote speaker at We17 in Austin. To learn more about We17, go to we17.swe.org. Lorraine, thanks for participating in SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. My pleasure. Thank you, Jessica. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to explore additional offerings from SWE Advance at advancedlearning.swe.org. 